Solving for demand problems suck. Solving for technology problems rocks. So we have two things going on. The first the way, is we had a way, contest. I have a new new intro philosophy. Have you ever have you ever watched a Peloton um, a Peloton class? Yeah, they're always they always do this thing. I don't even do Peloton, but I've seen two or three, so I'm going to say always. It's always like, <laughs> all right, everybody. They like come in like they were just having the best inside joke with somebody. They're like, oh, okay, you're gonna start, we're gonna start. What's up, everybody? Jamal here, and we are gonna rock. To-. It's like. They always start with this laughter to make you feel like we were having such a good time. You're in a good place right now. Okay, well. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, we've got. All right. So here's the deal. We've got a uh, two things happening. The first is last month we did a contest where people reviewed us and we gave out a thousand dollars. Or did we give five thousand dollars, Ben? Six thousand dollars to six different people. Oh, wow. So six people won. Okay, so six people won a thousand dollars we even gave it to like two or three people who gave us negative reviews <clears throat> um we're gonna if you're watching on youtube uh you can click the link and you're gonna go to the end of this episode and that's where you'll see who the names are and you have to contact ben if you're that person is that right by the ben? way the people commenting on youtube get a bigger prize which is that me and you go and re- we reply to everybody who comments on the youtube channel personally Particularly if they talk shit yeah especially if they talk shit but i like the people there's really two that i like there's the a great when they say great episode, I don't know what the hell they'll say back. So I just say like, yeah, thanks. But if they talk shit or if they reference some inside joke or call us out on uh, one of our like mannerisms or something, we always say that's stupid or whatever. Those are great. It makes me uncomfortable when that happens. Um, um, I get but, self-conscious. Uh, I was just going to say uh, to summarize. Yes, correct. Uh, we announced them at the end of a different episode. We announced the winners. So we're going to link to that clip at in the show notes of this episode. So click there, listen, see if you were one of the winners. If so, email me and I will get you your thousand dollars. And what's your what's your email, Ben? B Wilson at HubSpot.com is my email. All right. Now, the second thing, this is actually significantly cooler. So we are giving away $5,000 to two fans. And here's what you have to do. You've got to take our content, whether it's like audio or video, which they're all on YouTube, and you have to remix it. So basically chop it up into little viral clips and then use the hashtag MFM clips. So MFM clips uh, and use that hashtag on all the popular social media shit. We'll find you. And the and, and we're going to do a combination of cool stuff, uh, like cool content, as well as popular content. And we're going to give away $5,000 to two different people who use that hashtag and use cool clips uh, or who create cool clips. Way, I think that's going to be sick. There's somebody who did this for the All In podcast. There's just a TikTok channel somebody created called All In Talk, uh, like like TikTok. And um, they just chop up clips from from the pod and they just put it up there. There's no contest. But this account is just getting like hundreds of thousands of views because it's the content's already good. All you got to do is just grab the best. OK, we're, we're going to talk for an hour. You grab the best kind of like 30 second back and forth and um, and you turn that into a clip and they don't all hit. But definitely like one per week is hitting and this account is getting so big and it's just some fan account. And so that's actually what I would do is you're going to if you just did that, if you just made the TikTok account for this, you just put the best best nuggets on there and just chopped it. Um, your account's going to get popular, which is more valuable than whatever five. We're going to give you five grand. Great. But like whoever does that, like we'll just employ you. And also you're going to have an account that's. Yeah, we, we 
we've talked about doing this for like every month. So if someone's good at this, we'll just give you $5,000 a month, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that, <laughs> maybe that's in the cards. But uh, so MFM clips, that's the hashtag just, you know, on Instagram, TikTok, um, Twitter. We'll see. We're, we're going to follow it all. And so did I read what, what oh, Ben? You did you look great. at me? Did uh, I not do that correctly? Uh, it's good running. The only thing you didn't say is running through from now to the end of the year. So you've got about a month to to do it. I have a question for you guys, which is if you were betting, what is the over under for how many views the top clip is going to get? I think on TikTok, the top the top video will get over 50,000 views. Oh, I was going to say, like, I think someone More. will get half a million on something. The right thing will go by. If you just take something from the Rob Deerdeck podcast, or you take something from the Gary V podcast, the Ty Lopez podcast, there's a whole bunch of those. Andrew Wilkinson, there's a whole bunch of those that are good or just one of our rants or something funny that we did, you know, back and forth where we're, we're yelling at each other. Those will hit. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI powered service hub. Okay, so what is Service Hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new Service Hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want, and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. All right, that's that. Um, Sean, I got a bunch of stuff. You want to talk about... You want to, You listen to the Noah Kagan pod? I listened to it, yeah. So I listened to it in the car. It's great because I normally never listen to this pod because I was there. We talked about it. You know, It's awkward to listen back to your own voice, but this was different. I got to basically hear an episode of MFM, but just with somebody else on the other side. And uh, what do you think of it first before I give you my... Opinion? I didn't think it was that good. I thought it was good, but here's what I thought. I thought the flow was awkward. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just how the podcast sounds when we're on it too, but there was something very start stoppy about it that was kind of like awkward to listen to. But the topics were great. Like I liked the stuff you guys talked about. The con- this, the content was great because I, it hit the thing that I always want, which is I feel like these were just two two cool people who I would be friends with hanging out and I just got to hang with them. It didn't feel like a show. So like you would just be like, do you have a will? And he's like, yeah, I got, you know, like I have one, but I don't have kids. So I put it in my brother's kids. And you're like, that's so weird, right? Like it's not even your kid. And he's like, yeah, it's weird. But like, you know, and you were just talking about shit that like, just shit that I don't know, just dudes would talk about that. that that's like, Oh, what are you doing with your money? Yeah. Is that good? Yeah, it's good. But you know, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't like some, it didn't feel like every other podcast. So I like that. But it was, was a little start where, and stoppy. I think that there was either maybe a weird delay or something because it happened consistently where I would I'd say something and then <laughs> it, it was weird. There was just like this weird delay where it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you go right. ahead. Yeah, we have the opposite problem. We'll, we'll talk over each other, but that actually makes it flow a little faster because it's just like, whatever, I'm talking over you. You're talking over me. Let's just keep it going back and forth rather than wait. OK, you go. Now I go. Right. And that's yeah. the problem with these Zoom pods in general. Why in-person podcasts just are like that extra 30% better is because in person you can start talking over each other, but it's no, that's a normal thing in a conversation. You can kind of interrupt each other, but if you interrupt someone on zoom, it's a very abrupt, like um, it like kind of like stops the flow of everything for some reason, just the way that like kind of the conference call tech works. And what did you think of his Peter Thiel thing? 
that was cool. I liked, you know, some of the nuggets. I don't know if they're real. Like, does he really have a black Mercedes waiting outside the building running? The car must be running and the jet must be fueled and on the runway at all That's times. That's what it said in the to- book. That's what it, I was quoting the book. So that that was cool, but I didn't know if it was real. Uh, I liked the poker story where he was like, <laughs> he bought it at the poker game, then he had to go meet with Zuck, and he came back and asked for his money back. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. That should be and a clip, by the way. Those are the nuggets that, yeah, that should be a clip. Those are the nuggets that make you like feel like you kind of get to know the psyche of somebody like we already know the we already know the resume so you don't need to talk about what peter Thiel's done you got to talk about what's it like like i've told this story i think i've told the story in the pod maybe not i met a guy who in college was friends with a guy who worked under peter Thiel at paypal so peter Thiel was the ceo like a of paypal friend of a time. friend of a friend yeah friend of a friend was was an intern there at the time he's in college and the intern gets invited to um go to peter's like tahoe He's going to like uh, to a, a vacation or, you know, he's invited like 20 people or whatever to come to his cabin. So the friend tags along and he gets there and he said, and by the way, he listens to the pod. So I think he'll appreciate the story being told without giving away too much info. He gets there and he goes, the first question Peter asked me, he goes, how much money do you have? <laughs> and Peter he's like, asked that Peter the asked kid? the the kid, the college kid. The kid's like, uh, like <laughs> you know, none based. I have like a checking account at Wells Fargo. Like, what um uh, what, what what is this question? He goes, No, I don't care how much money you have, but um you should whatever you have, you should invest in a company called Facebook. And this is back in like 2005 or something like that, 2006 maybe. And he's like, You should invest every bit of it into a company called Facebook. And um at the time, Peter was the main investor of Facebook. And the guy's like, okay, like the college thing, like we do, like the, the like the app we waste time on, like the, the website we waste some time on. Like he was like, okay, like maybe, but I, I'm not comfortable just investing all my money in it. And I just met you. So this is just like super direct. And he's like, every question he asked me was a very like thought provoking or reaction provoking question. And that's something that I've heard from many people who have met him, which is like, he has pretty much zero interest in small talk. Um, he will, he's looking for original thinkers. So he'll ask you a question and then he'll hear you. And it's sort of like, if you're just saying the same shit that everybody says, very heard like thinking, I think it's you know, the impression I get is he's, he's mentally bucketing you as like, okay, this person is not going to give me original thoughts. And then if you do have original thoughts, he doesn't really care what your pedigree is, what your accomplishments are. It's like, Okay, you're in. You're in the you're in the circle of people I want to talk to because you have original opinions, which goes back to this Peter Thiel question, the famous interview question he has, which is what's something you believe that few others would agree with you on? And he's asking for the secret. What's a secret, you know, what's something you think is true, but others don't think is true because and and that being one of your kind of main questions will filter for people who have these unique insights. I've also noticed that he does another thing that's actually pretty interesting. And I think this is one of the reasons why he's hated by a lot of people. Uh, so he's shockingly open-minded, almost to the point of like seeming stupid. And right. like, so like, for example, when he supported Trump, people were like, what are you doing? Like, that's the worst thing. Right. And um, I like heard his explanation and I actually don't remember what it was, but the feeling that I had was like, that's logical, but like my, I don't like Trump and my emotions feel this way. So I just can't go along with it. But he was very logical and he does this thing where he says, if someone says like, um, do you think drinking eight glasses of water 
is good for you. He would say like, well, you know, a lot of people think that it is great for you because the doctors and, and research have proven right. that X, Y, and Z. Uh, on the other hand, hydration plays a role in health. Right? Yes. <laughs> but on the other hand, um, it's actually overrated and you should consider doing this. And a lot of people think that that's true. And so he actually says both sides of, of right. like when he answers a question, he goes, well, a lot of people believe this and then other people believe this. And then some people believe that. And it's kind of intriguing. So I heard you say that on the pod. And in my head, I was doing the thing listeners do where they're like, oh, I have something I would add to this conversation. So I'm glad you brought it up because that's a technique. Have you ever heard of this technique called steel manning? No. Do you know what straw manning is? Yeah, it's an example like, um, 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 well, I can't even think of a okay. good example. And, okay. Straw manning is basically when you, let's say you are debating somebody about something, you're arguing about something or debating or um, having a conversation and you kind of pigeonhole somebody's view into like, you kind of create this really weak version of their argument so that you can knock it over really easily. Right? Like imagine a man made of straw. You could just blow it. You could just blow a gust of air and it would just fall over right away. It. So it's like saying, well, Sam, I know that you, you think that everybody just needs to shut their eyes and put their money into the Vanguard ETF, no matter, no matter what it's like, well, no, that's not actually my argument. But if you make it sound so if you make if you make a weak version of my argument, then, yeah, it's going to be really easy to contradict it. Um, And that's what most people do. So that's the like what I would say the common person habit is when there's something you disagree with, you sort of if to present their side, you present the straw man, which is the absolute weakest version of that argument. So you can knock it over and put your your view in place. And what the smartest people do is the opposite. They do something called steel manning. Which is even if they disagree with something, they'll they'll go into it and they'll say, you know, people who believe that you should do X would say and they will they'll make the strongest possible argument for that thing. Right. They'll It's almost like an in good faith way of figuring something out. So the, the straw man is like a bad faith way of doing it. It's like I'm going to I'm going to kind of like cherry pick the weakest parts of your argument and present that as your full argument. And I'm going to get rid of the, the, the nuance or the context or whatever else. And the steel man would say, you know. Um, Trump supporters, uh, people who, who, who support Donald Trump, you know, the straw man is, uh, they're just racist people who, you know, hate Mexicans or whatever, right? Like they're, they're just, you know, whatever. And the steel man version of it is, you know, some people are, um, the top priorities for them are, uh, their economy, especially if they live in States like Ohio and, you know, Michigan or whatever. And, um, they've been decimated for their jobs and they actually see that Trump is willing to invest in their jobs. And so it could actually be really great for this, this, and this reason. Although he says some things that are very like uh, uncharacteristic and offensive to certain groups. Um, he really, you know, he's, he doesn't do a good job of that, but the pros outweigh the cons and that would be the reason you would support Donald Trump. And so steel manning is this tactic that I think if you want to be, if you want to like build yourself into a learning machine who gets smarter over time, you want to learn steel manning which is how do you understand the other person's viewpoint and actually build their argument stronger than they could build it themselves so that it doesn't mean you have to agree with it. It means you have presented the strongest case on both sides and then you decide which one resonates with you, which one is the the more true version or the more correct version that you should go with rather than making a, a unfair fight. I think that's a like a legitimately life-changing skill I've just learned. Not skill, but like lesson. Right. I'm yeah, so that, that that's one, one. And I think Peter Thiel does that. So it, it's not that he says, oh, some people would say this and some people would say that. So I don't know. It's he steel mans both sides of the argument and then he decides which one he believes is the correct one. Um, and I think that's like a really powerful thing to do. That's that, a good uh, one. 
that him and other smart people I know do. That's great. I'm gonna start doing that. I I and I I I wasn't I didn't know what that was, and I don't actually know too much about uh, logic and arguments and things like that. I don't I don't understand it entirely. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Right, I haven't studied it. Let me give you one other thing I've been observing, which is people who grow up and in high school do speech and debate or in college do speech and debate. I'm just noticing that that is a common thing amongst, amongst successful people I know. And, um, there's really like, I would say like three or four really common uh, success paths that I like. If I look at a whole bunch of successful people that I've met and I trace back down, I'm like, okay, here's four paths that like, like, wow, they all like this cluster of people all had that same experience growing up. That's weird. Like this, uh, this group had this. So I'll give you a couple of them. One is speech and debate. This comes this is sort of best done with like um, either entrepreneurs, investors, or salespeople. So they're able to just really effectively tell their argument. Actually, when I did the episode with Hasan Minaj, uh, the the comedian, I was like, you know, you're like a you're like me, you're like Indian kid growing up. Stand up comedian's not usually like a career choice. So like, did, when did you figure out you wanted to do that? He's like, oh, I he's like, I went to a, a Chris Rock show or I saw a Chris Rock uh, stand up. He's like, as soon as I saw it, he's like, I was a speech and debate kid in high school, and I just saw this as humorous speech and debate. I was like, oh, he has a he has a, a stance that he has to take, which is like, you know, um, you know, women love buying things. Right. And then it's like and then all it is is supporting arguments that ladder up to, to like resupport that argument at the end. But the supporting arguments don't have to be like super literal. They can be like humorous. He's I said like, it on this podcast. I think that my speech and debate class in college was the only effective class I ever took. In oh, you were one too. I didn't even know that you yeah. were a speech and debate kid too. Oh my god, that yeah, makes I, perfect sense. And see? I could, and I, yeah, I remember all the ones that I gave. And and the really good part is when they make you argue about stuff that you don't actually like. Right. Yeah. So, totally. Because that's the thing in debate. You don't get to choose the thing you already believe in. You're assigned. It's like you're going to argue for this thing, whether you actually believe it or not. So you have to get good at like steel manning that argument basically. Um, so, okay. Speech and debate is one I've, I've traced. Another one is um, hardcore gamers. So people who get really freaking good at video games, like I'm talking about like competitive or like complete obsession. If channeled properly, that same type of person can um can use those same kind of like strategy co- cooperation grinding mindset um like ability to like understand the, the rules of the game and then yeah. find the shortcuts find the hacks in the game find the glitches of the game to get in you know the infinite money hack basically so i know a whole bunch of people that got super successful in crypto they all came from like this runescape mafia it's basically a bunch of dudes who used to go in this game called runescape and they were trading in the arena. Basically they're like buy, sell, they would go, they'd go farm and get some virtual goods and they would go flip them. And they were basically digital flippers. 
And like, guess what? That same group of people is really fucking good at crypto and was early on it, figured it out early. They were good at poker. They're like that same skill set applies to a whole bunch of things that can be successful. So hardcore gaming is another one. Um, this, there's an obsession and a strategy component to it that I think plays well later. Um, and these are ironic because that's one thing your parents, if they saw you doing, they'd be like, what a waste of time. Why are you just, why are you wasting your time playing video games? Go learn something useful when in actuality, the skills you build gaming are so applicable later. Um, I think that there was a time recently where I forget exactly what it was, but someone was trying to solve a, 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 a not a math problem, but some type of like code where you had to like sequence DNA, something I forget exactly what it was, where you had to do like a series of incredibly hard problems in order to solve something very important and no one could figure it out. And then this like medical board put it out for gamers and turned it into a game and they solved it in like a month or something like that. No way. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, like we both invested in synthesis school, which is basically teaching kids through games. It's the it's a riff off of when Elon Musk was at SpaceX, he designed a school for his own kids to go to. And they called it Ad Astra, which is like to the stars. And it was a school inside of SpaceX that only the rocket scientist kids basically could go to and Elon's kids would go to it. And then they basically spun that out. And, and the, sorry, the, the premise of the school was uh, kids will learn more when they're having fun and they're engaged. Nothing is more fun and more engaging to a kid than a game. And um, when they start to play the game, they will start to learn all the necessary skills, strategies and tactics to win that game. And so like uh, so they they spun that out as synthesis school. Now it's available to anybody. And so people are you know, doing it makes million dollars a year recurring revenue of tuition based of people sending their kids there and the entrance the application to apply to the school is this game and i played it i couldn't even beat the game i couldn't even beat the game that basically an eight-year-old is supposed to beat in order to get into the like candidate pool for synthesis it's like all it does there's no instructions it's you versus a computer there's dots on a screen and you make a move and the computer makes a move you make a move computer makes a move and then eventually the computer wins and you're like oh okay so you're supposed to get to the green dot okay that's how the computer won all right now i'm going to try to get to the green dot how do i be oh i see the computer can move diagonal let me try doing that and it's this trial and error figuring out process that like your brain is just fully locked in by the way uh, it's called um there was basically like an aids like virus and scientists for a decade or two couldn't figure out the structure of a protein cutting enzyme and they set it out to gamers and they figured it out in three weeks. <laughs> yeah, all of the world's problems, like, you know, peace in the Middle East, all it requires is a video game. Uh, if, we need, if we want to pull it off, just give it to the gamers. Um, even even Ethereum, by the way, I don't know if you know the founding story of Ethereum, but the guy who made it, this guy Vitalik, um, who's this like, you know, ultra nerd looking guy, alien, like, super nerd, alien looking guy, brilliant guy. Like if you read his blog posts, so thoughtful, so brilliant like next Zuckerberg, next Bill Gates type vibes for sure. He actually credits that he was a, he was a hardcore world of Warcraft player. He was grinding like crazy. He got to level 60, which was the max at the time. And he had like leveled up his character and earned all this stuff. And then the game maker changed the rules of the game or they like changed the way the items worked. And like some of his character items like that he had worked so hard for got taken away. And he was like, so he was just like for three weeks, he was like inconsolable. He was like, just so upset he couldn't believe it. And he, he found it so unjust that the game maker could just like he didn't own his items that the game maker owned the items. It could just change the rules on him and yeah, rug pull them at the last second. And Ethereum is basically this global computer where the users own their own. You own your own tokens, you own your own items, you have your own private keys. Then there's no company. There's no the, the, the whole platform is designed so that 
the the app makers could never do that to you. And he credits that as like a pretty major influence in his thinking and like sent him down a rabbit hole of like, why is the world the way it is? And how can I change it? <laughs> I had never heard that story. So what what's the uh, what's the last one or two? La- last one or two. So arbitragers. So these are people you've yeah. probably met a bunch of people who are like, yeah, like, like gamblers they're, or they're um, successful now, but they're like, yeah, I got my start doing like, um, you know, kind of like tech. affiliate ad network online, yeah. sending traffic to porn sites or like, um, you know, like, yeah, I realized you could just buy this T-shirt. I mean, you could drop ship this T-shirt and I could get this 10% VIG just in the arbitrage between this ad network and this place, this click and that click. They just love the action. They love the action. They learn how to do internet marketing at a like very fundamental level. And um, and at some point they get sort of disillusioned. Like, okay, what am I doing here? I'm just sending clicks to plenty of fish and I make, you know, $7 per click margin. And I'm just like, what am I doing here? Could I apply the same skill to a brand that I create, to a product I genuinely believe in, to a, a an education app that I make, whatever. And they, they go on to do some pretty great things. So I've noticed that that's one more. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's actually a few other archetypes that I, I don't want to spend the whole episode doing it. Like teachers is another one. I met the founder of Alibaba, Jack Ma, and he was a former teacher. And um, when did you meet him? I met him in college. There was this uh, trip organized. If, if, there was this thing called Kairos, which they named yeah, the top hundred top hundred college entrepreneurs, and it was a total horseshit. Like we applied the night before. We had we were they didn't know anything about us, and we got in because like they I went to Duke and they needed a quota of a kid from Duke, and so they got we got into it even though we had done nothing. And um, just to show you how like fake the world is, we got into that hundred entrepreneurs thing. Uh, the event took place at the New York Stock Exchange. They had it like shut down because the the guy who started it, his dad's like mega loaded and super powerful. Bill Clinton came to speak. So it seemed like this ultra legit event. It was not legit at all. Like it was like just a total party and meetup for like random college kids. Like the Forbes 30 and then 30. CNN shows up and I get on CNN and now I have this clip of me pitching my sushi restaurant on CNN as like the next big thing. And CNN runs it as like, oh, college breakout success here this business is one of the best businesses in college right now so it's like oh if you believe cnn you would think oh this is like a great business idea that they're featuring on cnn no it just happened to be that i was in front of the camera and cnn didn't give a shit they're just recording stuff and put it on put it on the filling airtime you know they didn't care there's no filter uh, there's no quality filter and then at the end of that they were like hey you know through our connections we got the ceo of alibaba to pay for all of us to go all expenses paid here to china for a week to hang out with him and see their headquarters and all that so i got to go on that with jack ma with jack ma and we talked to jack ma and jack ma tells the story and he goes um people were asking what are the keys to success and he goes in china there's two successful ceo types can i guess yeah go teachers teachers is one he was a teacher yeah military Correct. Okay. I don't know how you knew that. That was amazing. Have I told that story before? Or you no. just knew that. It's a guess. Yeah. He was like military, um, you know, the rigor of operations uh, that you need in business. Like there's no better training for that than the, the rigors of military and the systems and the timing and the production, the detail oriented nature. He's like, so any manufacturing business in China, uh, the best leaders, the best CEOs are ex-military. And then he goes for the non factory type businesses like an Alibaba um, teachers uh, tend to do pretty well. He goes, and I, uh, we said, why, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. And he goes, a teacher is one of the only professions where the success of the student matters more than the success of the teacher. Like they care more that they're the people under them 
succeed. And he goes in management. That is, you know, the best principle for breeding great managers is if you were like a teacher and your success was not in how high you climbed, but how great your managers became. And, um, so that was his, his reasoning. I don't know if that was correct Dude, or not, sick. uh, but I thought that was tight. I can't believe I've never heard that. You tell me that story that you got to go to meet Jack Ma. That's actually badass. Yeah. Um, there, there were some crazy stories there, but we have some other stuff we should talk about. Let me tell you about something. Um, go to rock auto, rock auto.com. All right, I'm going rock auto, like auto, like car. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm on a Craigslist looking ass site. What, uh, wh- look this at their is, traffic. This is a sample classic here. So this company is called Rock Auto. Rock Auto. I don't know. Oh why my I'm god! So. Twenty million monthly visitors. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I was listening to a, an MMA podcast, Michael Bisping's podcast. What is going on? And he does this ad read. He goes, "If you're buying car parts, go to rock rockauto.com. They've got every car part you could ever want." And I had never really heard of a. Uh, I know Toyo or something like that. Tires sponsors a lot right. of like sporting events. So I understand, you know, like it's a lot of like meathead car people, but I never heard of an auto parts other than like Napa and the famous one. And I went to this website, rockauto.com, because they were sponsoring a bunch of the podcasters. And it's the most bare bones site I've ever seen. And I was trying to do research on it. And there's close to nothing out there. There's a few articles from like five, six, seven years ago. But basically, it started by two brothers, I think in Michigan. They've got over a million parts. And uh, the Traffic is nuts. So according to similar web, it's like north of 20 million. And look at the source, mostly all direct. And so these guys, this, so they this have must the, be something that, um, car, uh, whatever repair shops go to order or is no, this just customers are going. No, it's meant for, um, um, just individuals, just nerds, just guys who are tinkering. Or if you just like, wow, for example, something broke on my car and I just like, I just need this little part. I could replace it on my, on my own. It's just like a little like door handle thing. And so I was like trying to figure out where to get it, and they had it. No way. So do they own the? Do they like inventory no. the parts themselves? So or? they don't. So what they do is they connect with dozens of or hundreds of suppliers, and they just have this like intricate system of distributors uh, all over the, the 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 country, and they send you the part they need. And their goal is to have uh, the like one part for every car that you need. So if you ever need anything for a car. Uh, they can get their hands on it. You know, kind of like how Bezos said, if there's a book in, in existence, we should sell it. And that's kind of auto part. And I was thinking about this for a few different reasons. The first is with e-com, I was like, what doesn't Amazon crush it in? And they don't crush it in hardware. So like Home Depot style stuff. Right. Uh, HomeDepot.com is like the fourth or fifth or sixth, something like that largest uh, retailer in the world still. And they've not gotten hurt at all with Amazon really, or a little bit they have, but not in terms of like buying screws online. And another thing is auto parts, whether for cars or motorcycles. Right. And so there's this company called Revzilla um, who was recently acquired for like $500 million. And they sold motorcycle gear, motorcycle parts. And then I was looking at Rock Auto. And then I was looking at a bunch more. And it's incredibly fascinating because there's not that many new people in this space. But it seems like a pretty huge space. You know, uh, Morgan Stanley had this report. And they said like it's a $70 billion a year industry. By the but, way. I just looked up the CEO of Rock Auto. He looks like Jeff Bezos before Bezos got ripped. <laughs> yeah, like he looks like pre-HGH Bezos. <laughs> yeah, he looks like the before photo of Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's amazing. I think it's interesting. I've always thought the space because I, I something broke in my car, like I said, and I tried to like figure out how to buy the part, and it, it's a pain. It, it's a, it's, it's a pain. But the th- problem with this is, is that you'd have to have so many SKUs. 
Um, I mean, yeah, like I'm looking at like, let's say, like BMW, like I have a BMW X5. BMW X5, or, or, or not even not even that. If you just go to BMW, it's like you can look at a car from 1939. It's like, okay, here's the models. Here's the makes in 1939. And then you could find a part for the cooling system of the 1939 BMW, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's it's amazing, insane. right? It's so hard. It's a real, It's a really hard problem to solve for. But what's interesting is I don't think this is a demand problem, which is cool. Solving for demand problems suck. Solving for technology problems rocks. If you could figure out how to build a mousetrap, that's far better than figuring out like, are mice even going to go into this thing? Right. Um, you know what I mean? And totally. So that's you, why yeah, this, you you want to be supply constrained, not demand constrained when you yes. when you do something. And this it's just incredibly interesting to me. And I think in order to get popular on this, you just would crush uh, SEO. You and 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 that's how you'd have to do it. And I think that you could do it by sponsoring a lot of YouTubers and things like that. And uh, it's just an interesting business that I don't think has 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 taken off like a, or an, an interesting industry. I know Amazon's thought about going into that space, but it's what do pretty you think fascinating. this business is worth? I bet you Rock Auto. I was looking online trying to like triangulate some of their stuff, and I found some old interviews. But if they, I I would think they have to do at least a hundred million in sales. And I don't think they, other than the recent podcast stuff. If I if I bet you they don't spend any money on marketing other than like sponsoring like maybe like some car shows. Wow, unbelievable! Uh, that's crazy, right? That's a good find. Uh, great find, great find. Got to give you props on that one. That's, a, that's you, really go good to their one. similar web and look at if you look at where the traffic is coming from. Virtually one hundred percent, practically all of it is coming from search and direct. So people typing in rockauto.com. Amazing. Uh, what else you got? What's this hotel thing you got? Okay. I'm going to start a hotel. I don't know if I'm going to do it today. I'm definitely not going to do it today, but I'm going to do it soon. Can, and let me explain what I'm going to do. Okay. So there are, I, I went and met with some like Olympians the other day. This guy who is this Olympian DM'd me. He's a runner. He heard that I liked running and uh, he asked if I wanted to get dinner. I went and got dinner with him and like, eight of his athletes. So he like was an Olympian and then now has an agency and he has like 41 track and field athletes. Not really popular for most people. For me, it was cool. And I could like, I knew who they were like a triple jumper, a miler, whatever. And I was talking to them about money and they don't make anything like, like some of them like have little Airbnbs on the side or they bought a car to put on Toro. And one of them got, uh, is an American record holder in her event. Another one, um, won a gold medal. And so anyway, I was interested in that because I was like, man, if I wanted to like pay you to be my coach, I bet you I could get you to do that. <laughs> like you can't be that expensive. And I started thinking that, uh, have you heard of UFC, how they have this thing called the Performance Institute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They built these uh, like kind of state of the art UFC gyms where the athletes can go train. But I think it's also kind of a tourist, not tourist destination, but it's like a there's a public facing component to it, right? Like you can, I don't think there is because when I have heard about this, when I've heard about this, I'm like, I want to go there. I want to work out there. I would, do they have a hotel? I would love to stay there. Hmm. And I think, so I think I could create a hotel or a piece of like a a large piece of property. And here's how I'm going to test it. So in this order, here's what I'm going to do. I think I could figure out is, is there demand for this? And the way that I could do it is I could get a bunch of these Olympians. Well, whether what's the idea I, first? Is it, is it a man for this? This being what? It's just a general oh, uh, hotel? Or? Uh, I, I think I could create like a resort like a, where you go to just to train and work out with 
competitive athletes. Okay. So, and I think I can convince the competitive athletes to live there for most of the year as like a training place. And they do a camp in the morning and train for the rest of the day and get paid to do that. Gotcha. Okay. I think I could solve that. And the way that I would try and solve for that is I'm going to contact uh, like a really nice hotel. I'm going to explain to them what I'm doing. Then I'm going to contact uh, some of these athletes and be like, hey, I'm going to pay you this much money. I'm going to charge these people a hotel fee plus a fee on top of that. And I'm going to give you a cut of the money. And I think I could host an event at some of these places and, and, and make it work. So my brother-in-law, who's been on the pod before, Brother Aaron, for the OG listeners that remember him, he loves jiu-jitsu and he loves any combat sports. He loves training boxing. He loves training Muay Thai. He loves training jiu-jitsu. And he wanted to create this thing. So he's created this thing called Bali Fight Club. And what he's doing is he, almost exactly what you're talking about. So he's like, all right, I need to create a, like an MMA style vacation. So he's like, basically... A lot of people are interested in like going to Bali, being on a beach, going to like a resort. He's like, so he used to live uh, near Bali. So he's like, oh, I know, like, I know the perfect spot for this where there's a bunch of little villas and the villas are like just dope. Like you're, you're on the most beautiful beach. You're in a private villa. There's like a chef that's like cooking for everybody and all that stuff. And each family gets their own villa or each like kind of like resident would get their own or you can buddy up or whatever. And um, so there's all these little, little huts, little villas. And it's right on the beach. And then he's like, dude, the best kind of like trainers in the world for, for combat sports are often in Thailand. He's like, I'm going to get. So he met a pro boxer when he was on vacation in Mexico. And the guy's like, OK, I'm in. And so he, he has like a pro boxer, a pro jiu-jitsu guy and a pro Muay Thai guy. And they're going to come on the trip, too. And they want a vacation also. And they're basically like, yeah, we'll train the, the people. And they're like, you get to train like an athlete trains. We're going to do two a days. You're going to have a massage in between to like kind of recover the body. So we're going to treat you like you're going to get to train like a pro athlete trains while also being on vacation. And the whole thing is like whatever, like five grand or something like that. Five, six Wait, grand. And this is live. This is what he's creating right now. So he's basically he's got like two people. He's just waiting until he gets to like eight people. And when there's eight people like the trip will happen. Um, and so, so that's what he's doing, which is very similar to your idea. But instead of being a hotel, it's more like a, a getaway, like a, like a, like a, a I would do a ghetto. Uh, I would do experience. getaways at, I would do getaways at first. And then eventually I would acquire a, a piece of property right. within an hour of a major, uh, international airport. Right. You do it that's in the U S yeah. Like I think you could do it in Austin probably because Austin is becoming like a mini center of like health nerds. Right. Um, I think that you could maybe do it in uh, California. You for sure could do it in like a Boulder or Florida, somewhere in Florida. Yeah, I think you could. Amazing. Yeah, I think that's a cool idea. I think it's sick, especially because the get the getaway is a great MVP for something like that, right? So and you can easy. build it's up the momentum, and that's not hard to do. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's that's pretty great. Uh, let me tell you one more thing. Go to manuals. So it's called like manuals, like a like a like a. Owner's manual, manuals lib, L I B, like library, okay. manualslib.com. The ultimate okay. manuals library. So it's a website <laughs> that's just full of manuals. Okay. But get this. Oh, this is great. Like I was in building, so I'm assembling something. And I don't have the manual or I need to fix something. I don't have the manual. It's just here. It's like, here's my KitchenAid item. Yes. This website, according to their about page. So the way that you find out if a business is interesting is you, if you they make money through advertising, you scroll down and you click advertise with us and you find out about them. Yeah. They according to their media kit, they get at least 16 million monthly uniques, of which 90% nearly is from search. Okay. They've got a brown 3.8 million uh 
uh, products on there with 5.2 million manuals, 106,000 brands, and 3.2 terabytes of data indexed. This and- is hilarious, dude. They just have every manual. They scan it. And they like SEO the shit out of their like rankings for when people. But say, it gets more interesting. It gets more interesting. I I was researching this. I cannot find anyone on LinkedIn, anyone online <laughs> who mentions these guys or works there. I can't yeah. find a thing about it. I've looked all over. The, the, I found one person who on their LinkedIn says that they were a freelancer and they're based out of Europe. That's like pretty much all I saw. Their main competitor is gets. This is where it gets interesting. Their main competitor is this company called Owner IQ. And they own this website called manualsonline.com. And Owner IQ, it's kind of a weird business, but but basically they if you're gonna buy something, I don't know how they do it, but it's kind of like Tech Target. That's another publicly traded company that does this. They 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 sell data to retail stores or brands that somehow helps them figure out who's buying their stuff. And they I don't I actually don't know what they do with it. But owner IQ owns manuals online and they do well over a hundred million in revenue and own and and manuals online is one of their products is that nutty this is wild also if you look at their like traffic uh you know like they really grew starting in like 2012 um they like shot up the ranks into becoming like one of the top sites now so so it's definitely uh it was created in 2012 and it just like pretty instantaneously like within the year uh became an ultra popular uh ultra popular site the uh, yeah, these types of business with print money. Now, this was a ad based business, so I guess they're trying to get you to like, I'm looking for a manual, and I'm like uh, for a manual for the thing I bought, and then I'm like, fuck it, I'm gonna buy something else because I <laughs> I don't want to deal with this. Like, kinda. What's so the there's this case? company. There's this company called Tech Target, and they're publicly traded. Their market cap is shit, but they still do like nine figures in revenue. It's called Tech Target, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Tech Target owns. Um, like websites like CFO.com and a bunch of other websites where if you are a buyer, uh, if you, so they own securitydocs.com, they own techguide.com, they own things like that. And so basically, if you're the CFO of a 5,000 person company and you are the decision maker for buying like, this is like an oversimplification, but like you're going to say, our company now needs to use QuickBooks instead of this other software. That's a $10 million a year product that we're going to have to purchase. And so this company called Tech Target will create CFO.com and create news just hoping that the CFO will read it when deciding between QuickBooks and this other website. And they'll figure that out and capture their email and contact information and sell it to QuickBooks and then all their competitors. So basically, it's rooted in uh, influencing what you buy. Yeah, that would make sense to me. I don't know what the manual one would, because that assumes you've already bought the thing. So I guess that's a little bit different. But um, yeah, these are these are great little like kind of secret gem businesses that are um, you know like when Andrew Wilkinson came on, we asked him, you know, what type of business do you want to buy? High growth, high profits. And he he said, I want to buy a New Zealand business, which is a business that is just independent, uh, sustainable. Um, does not rely on like one, you know, like Facebook ads or some like some paid channel to like to grow that could change any minute. It's not going to be competed against by Google and Facebook and Amazon. They'll never care to compete against this. And that's a New Zealand business that he can you know safely buy. These are to me, New Zealand businesses that you, you've identified two New Zealand businesses here. Yeah, they're neat. I, I, I think they're cool. I think that like tech target that I mentioned, they're based out of Newton, Massachusetts. This other one, Rock Auto. 
I think that they're in, sorry, they're in Madison, Wisconsin. So where the University of Wisconsin is and then manuals lib. They're like in Croatia. I can't find a thing about them. I can't find. I feel like there's, there's a business you can create. Okay. Let's say you wanted to create something like this. Uh, I think you could, you'd have to look at, okay, what's new, what's, what's a new thing where you need manuals. So maybe there's some new product, new types of products that are out there that, that need something like this. Like for example, it could be software or things like that, but software is not, not new enough. The other one you could do is any professional search. So like what's something that only dentists are going to search for. That's like really obscure, but really important to them. Maybe it's around, you know, certain tools or the software that they use or like, you know, manuals for the equipment that they've bought. Uh, maybe it's, you know, treatment uh, or like prescriptions or something like that. And some people have tried to create like a separate Google for doctors because doctors Google the shit out of stuff. Um, but like, you know, I think that's really hard. One another the other way, the easier way, but less valuable is you figure out how to rank at the top for everything that a doctor would search for. And you just become the definitive authority in some profession, whether it's car mechanics or dentists or doctors or insurance agents or whatever, real estate agents something that they have a lot of searches for that's not like already nobody's created the, the definitive central repository of information for it that's a perfect segue for what i'm about to say now listen to this speaking of dentists it's not even a segue i'm adding to it and i was reading this article about the top creators on youtube this year number three for the most popular creator of youtube shorts is called dental digest and it's a kid who makes here's the description of his thing Satisfying dental reviews, dental education, and dental lifestyle content. This kid's got 6.1 million subscribers on YouTube only doing dentist stuff. Is that ridiculous? Wow. I'm looking at one of his right now. So, And it, I think it says, uh, what did he say? Uh, like, we are, uh, like, I'm a third year dental student. Uh, his about, yeah, his about is... Third year dental student help, wants to help you discover your best smile. It's satisfying dental reviews, dental education, and dental lifestyle content. How crazy way, is that? He's represented by Night Media, which is the the guy Reed who we had on who uh, came yeah. on the podcast, and he represents Mr. Beast also. Amazing, right? The, the, <laughs> designer toothbrush from France, eight million views. Dude, number six on this list is also a dentist. Dude, what's going on? It must be that dental content is just interesting for non-dentists. That's the only explanation for this. Because, like, how many dentists are there? They're not even eight million dentists. I don't know, but this guy, <laughs> the dental digest guy, is that? I don't think he's doing like popping videos where you like watch someone pull a tooth. No. I think he's like he's reviewing products. Reviewing, yeah, he's doing stuff that is not like. Anyway, it's kind of interesting. Uh, wow. so I don't know where we go with this, but that was so weird. I just watched a video. It was so weird. <laughs> it's weird, right? The world's funny. I'm sure. There's so much opportunity out there. We've just identified dentists, manuals, auto part. We've talked about so much stuff just a, uh, a short amount of time. What do you want to do? Uh, let's wrap it up. I have some other ideas, but let's save those for the next pod. Let's wrap it up with one other topic. Um, which one do you want to do? Uh, you tell me. You pick. Do uh, um, I don't care. Let's do... Uh, Okay, I'm not really ready to talk about this. Okay, I'll talk about this. Okay, so here's um actually I kind of want to hear you talk about this. Let's do this work week slash creator economy thing. We never really got to talk about that. So I saw that Adam uh Adam Ryan, I think is his name, he used to be president of the hustle, something like that. Like he was he, like, Yeah, I led our sales team. He yeah, worked for like, me leading sales. So he worked for you, he was kind of like your number two guy basically at the hustle for a period of time. 
And he had left. He went and did a couple things. I don't know exactly. He was like, like a Zoom competitor or something like re recourse or recount. I don't remember. Yeah. So he did some education thing. I, I don't know what happened. I guess he left that or it didn't work out or something like that. So he is he came out with a new company recently and uh, it's called Workweek. And so like describe, uh, give people like this simple description of what it is. And then I, I want to hear your opinion on it. I don't entirely understand. What's the URL? Workweek.co or .com? I think it's .com. I think they got a nice domain there. Workweek.com. Workweek.com. And so it looks like, so it says workweek.com. It says, um, what's their, they have a tagline. I'll, I'll read about it. It says a new kind of media company. So he's creating a media company. It says you want to follow people, not institutions. So I think what he's doing is there's a bunch of creators that have their own niche. So like maybe this dentist guy would have been a fit. So it's like, um. Some guy named Jared Dashevsky, who's doing the healthcare huddle, which would be like, I don't know, was it like a sub stack or something like that? It's like a it's newsletter, a, a podcast, a course. Healthcare. Yeah, and it's all about healthcare. So he's like, he's covering the vertical of, of healthcare. There's Nicole, who's covering the vertical of fintech. There's this guy, Matthew, who's covering the vertical of cannabis. And um, I think they were already creating content. So they were already content creators. He kind of like is scouting them and saying, okay. Uh, they have a good newsletter, let's say. Um, and he's like kind of like bringing them all under one umbrella. I think he gets the rights to their content and in exchange for distribution and money is kind of my guess. The website's very nice. I, I like the design of the website very much. Um, but this idea is kind of interesting to me. And you're you're my go to on the media side. And I know you you like you like Adam and you're not going to like, you know, say this is a terrible idea or uh, you no, know, you're not, you're not just going to say it's a great idea if you don't believe it. So I want to know. What is your honest opinion of this idea? Because you know media better than anyone. I the know. way, okay, a few things. The way that it's positioned now, it looks like it's just an ad agency, which right. in itself isn't like horrible. Like we represent these creators. Yes. Right? I think the hard part here is that the creators that they represent are nobodies. Like maybe they'll be somebody's one day, right. but at the moment, this cannabis health. Yeah, I've this, never heard of any of these people. The, yeah, the cannabis thing, it looks like. The the guy DM me one time. He had like two thousand subscribers. Like the um, healthcare guy has five hundred followers on Twitter. So not not a huge. Follower. Yeah, and and so I think uh, the problem. I mean, it's not really a problem. You're just building an ad agency, I think. But in in Workweek's case, it's kind of a challenge because you don't have any ad inventory to sell. <laughs> yeah, you do. <need. laughs> so that I think it's going to be really hard. I think it's going to be a very hard business. I would never raise money for this. I think it could be a really cool business that potentially like makes money but from a creator's point of view i have a few perspectives first of all i i don't love the language a new kind of media company it, it's it doesn't it's anyone that's, who positions themselves that's, like that, like, that's basically a big mistake which is positioning yourself only to other media people yeah yeah and like it, they it, don't care they're not your customer anyways right like <laughs> that's not who you want i guess this is the landing page for a creator it's just jargon yeah, is what it jargon. is but uh whatever that's an, that's a mistake that's easily fixed um, the, from a creator's point of view, I think a few things. One, I think this whole creator economy thing is incredibly overhyped. I think that the vast majority of people who are going to be able to make a living from this is um, is okay. Is, let's is small. Let's, let's do the steel manning thing. So it's so when you say creator economy is overhyped, that means something different to everybody because everybody has their own perspective of like, is my opinion overhyped? Well, how do I know? So tell me, what are people saying about the creator economy that you think is incorrect? So people are saying that the creator economy is this like new economy. Everything's new um, that now anyone with a voice can make a living. <laughs> and 
That's what that's the, yeah. I know I'm straw manning. You, you, you straw man it. You, you gave them uh, a loser voice <laughs> while you said their <laughs> argument, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> so they say that anyone. OK, I'm going to try and actually do it the right way. Um, a lot of people think that like the creator economy, it means that uh, a variety of different people more than ever before can create stuff that is seen by by people and they can make a living. Right. Um that is true in that there are more than ever before. But the ratio of people that are going to succeed is still really small. And I think it should be small. Only the best right. sh- should survive. And the best likely don't necessarily need you. Um, or at least they wouldn't be silly enough to sell you their IP or their content. You know, right. n- no one would be crazy enough to do that. You know, that it's the whole reason why Caller Daddy bailed and started their own thing. Um and so it's kind of like a paradox in that the ones that you can acquire, you don't want to acquire. Right. And the ones that you want, you cannot acquire because they're too savvy. Or you acquire them right. You did it all right. You bet on them early. They did, in fact, blow and they up. bail. And then when they blow up, they're like, ah, I'm going to leave. And you're like, oh, but I bet everything on this creator. This is a personality. And when they leave, I have no recourse. I have no leverage. Exactly. That's- it's just like the there's a reason why none of the. um what's that thing called uh that was on twitch and on youtube mcns where they, what's it called it was called an mcn a multi-channel network so the one a big one's called makers studio i think that's what that's the one you're referring yeah to. and it actually had a big exit i think yeah they um, they, they kind of like lucked i wouldn't oh yeah luck is a little disparaging but like the business kind of wasn't working but they had a they got a fantastic exit to disney and then you know and the business fall apart good for them yeah Right. So they timed it well, where Disney bought it before the truth actually came out. But I think what the truth is now is that maybe these things could work, but likely it's going to be needlessly hard. Yeah. The same um, thing happened on Twitch. Uh, Ninja became the number one gaming star in the world when Fortnite became the number one game in the world. And Ninja got picked up by Red Bull and Ninja was getting paid millions of dollars every single month by both fans as well as advertisers. The guy was bank making $30 million a year. And this team that had bet on him, Luminosity, they were basically like they acquired his rights to the commercial rights to his channel. It's all under contract. How much uh, did they spend? You know, early on, they didn't spend much, right? Because he had not, he had no following at the time. So it's kind of like, you know, Adam going and acquiring healthcare huddle at 500 followers. He, you know, pick up, pick up the option on the cheap. You say, this guy's really talented. He could become something someday. So Luminosity had him under contract. But uh, he was like, yeah, hey, Luminosity, um, I'm not sharing any revenue with you. And you know, this is my fictional account of what happened. But they're like, but but but, but the contract He's like, yeah, I just I, I don't think that's fair. Uh, if you want to go try to enforce this, you can. But, you know, I will basically drag you through the mud as like trying to bring me down, which is like the worst thing you can do for acquiring new players is uh, have everybody know that Ninja is so unhappy with you and does not want to deal with you. Um, and Ninja feels like you screwed him. And so Luminosity they said to sit quiet and shut up and just like take the L. So they, they, you know, they weren't getting paid the full amount or whatever. I don't know all the details, but like they, they weren't sharing the revenue that they should have shared. Uh, they still got to kind of be branded on him, you know, be associated with his brand, but they, they, they didn't get the upside of their great bet. And then loaded was this talent agency. So Ninja goes with loaded and loaded is like work week. And they had all the stars. They had all the top streamers on their thing. And uh, sure enough, Ninja starts getting a deal with Samsung and now these deals are getting big and he's getting equity deals in this mouse peripherals company, accessories company. And um, guess what? Ninja's not with Loaded anymore, right? Because 
ah, why do I need loaded? Like, um, I can just do this on my own. They're taking too much. And, uh, you know, same thing happened with Dr. Disrespect. He goes and leaves for a different agency that's going to take less. Uh, you know, like you're it's a race to the bottom, as they say, where you're competing with everybody wants these stars to be in their like roster. And the next guy will do it for less because, hey, if I can get the top star, like that's just good for me, even if I even if they're a loss leader, even if I don't make money off them. And so the talent basically has end up, so ended what, up holding what to the those team's two hostage. Companies? Luminosity and so Luminosity and, and the esports team still exist. Um, they just, you know, they they didn't get the it's like the whole thing was based on we're going to acquire this talent. We're going to train them. We're going to promote them. We're going to cross promote all the players with each other and we're going to build stars and we're going to have this like portfolio of stars that like bring in all this money. But like that basically got like torpedoed. And anybody who's smart knows this now. There might still be one or two teams that the team brand name is like the Yankees, um, where it ends up becoming valuable. Like I think FaZe Clan is trying to go public in a SPAC right now, which is like crazy to me. Um, and, you know, they had the same thing. The number one streamer they had, this guy Tifu, he was like, ah, let me out of my contract. I don't want to be with you guys anymore because he was getting great money. He's like, why am I giving 20, 30, 40 percent to these guys? I don't want to do that. And so he's like, let me out. And they're like, no. And he's like, let me out. And it was like free Tifu became like the big thing. The fans are always going to be on the side of the personality that they fell in love with. They're never going to be on the side of the team. And it's what's going on in the NBA right now. Uh, so this know. business, I think, I think like, can, can these types of businesses work? Yes. But if you, it depends what your goals are. If you want to start like a tech company or like a VC thing, like maybe I wouldn't go this route because... I think it'd be it's going to be a huge headache. That doesn't right. mean it can't work, but I also think that one of my biggest fears is starting something in the prime of my youth when I have the most amount of energy, which is for most people in their 30s and 40s, they have a lot of energy, they've got some wisdom, and they still have got some time to create something. And you go down this path and you look back after toiling for 5 years and you go, shit. That I I it, we should have done this other thing. Right. And I think there are potentially other opportunities that are even similar to this in that space where I hope that a pivot can be made. Otherwise, that that five year looking back is likely going to happen. That's, that's such what a I good point. Think. There's like a graph that's like um, like energy starts at this high in your 20s and just goes sort of like down over time, which is like energy, which is like not just like your actual energy, but the amount of time you can amount of your energy you're going to get to put towards your work. So like, you know, oh, you got married or you got, you're going you're to a relationship a little bit less time. Uh, you have kids less time. You have like, you know, let's say other responsibilities come up in your life or you're just you're, you're more you get more fatigued. You know, when I was in my 20s, I used to work 15 hours a day. That wasn't I wasn't super productive, but I was throwing 15 hours a day at the problem. I remember I slept in the office 200 nights one year when I was like 24, really? 25. And so that was like max energy. Now I work on average five hours a day and um, like so energy goes down, but then wisdom goes up. Judgment goes up. Skill goes up. And so. In your 30s, the lines like cross. It's like the highest energy you're going to have while you have some good wisdom and judgment. And then in your 40s, your wisdom and judgment goes up, but your energy goes down and it's like, you know, not the peak anymore. That's at least my, my opinion of it. Yeah. And my point with that is we are in this crazy world at the moment where if you want to work in the creator space, there's a few routes that people go. A lot of people are creating like little pieces of software that they hope to sell for five, 10, 15 dollars a month. Right. Like two creators. Yeah. Yeah, we're two creators. And I'm like, I don't I wouldn't do that. I think that those businesses nine out of 10 times are going to fail. 99% of the time, they're going to fail. You know, you look at the difference between a buffer, which is like a $5, 20, 
Twitter sharing tool. It did good or it's doing, I mean, it did well, but it like plateaued versus like a HubSpot or a Hootsuite that like scaled way beyond that because they sold the right. same like thing. But this tool we're using right now, Riverside, we use this thing to record this. You know, they charge whatever, I don't know, nine or $20 a month or something like that to random ass podcasters like us. And, um, you know, they're hoping to be, you know, it's hard to imagine a world where a business like this gets to like 50 million in revenue, right? Yes, it's very hard. And 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 so I think of creators and I think of that space. And I'm like, oh, man, that's going to be really hard. Like, have some people done it? Yeah, MailChimp did it. But like, there's way less, like, it's really challenging. And um, another th- way you could go is like, do this like ad route. And like, that could be cool as long as you don't want to hire a lot of people. You just want to make a lot of profit early on. But if I was in this, I would totally look at the markets and the markets are like all about this DAO shit. If you like use the word DAO in Web3 in your memo or your deck, like you're going to raise money. <laughs> right? Like it's pretty crazy. It's all it's just it's so I'm just like, just go over the go. It's far easier to to chase the market or just get in the mix right. than it is to maybe do what you like strictly are passionate about. This brings me to one thought that's been rolling in my head, and I didn't want to bring it up because it's like, what does this have to do with anything? But you actually kind of tied it in nicely, which is there's a certain luck with your time with the timing of free agency. So I thought about this with basketball because um, this funny thing happened in basketball where uh, every year the like salary cap changes, it goes up or down based on how much revenue is being made, and then like every seven years they like renegotiate the overall deal between players and owners, and so like. There was a time in the like kind of 90, late 90s or whatever, where players could, there was like, they could just get these huge, like 200 something million dollar contracts, seven year, eight year. There was no like limit to the number of years. And then owners got wise to that. And the next negotiation, they're like, hey, like this guy used to be good in year one of the contract. By year eight, he was totally washed up and I'm still paying him $50 million. So like, let's make the maximum length of the contract five years. And the player's like, okay. So like basically whenever you become a free agent, which as a player is your time to go negotiate your deal. Um, like it really mattered. Like Magic Johnson back in the day, I think he signed a deal where he he had a twenty year deal where he made one million dollars flat per year. What? And like it was like at the time it was the fattest contract because he was Magic Johnson. But like Just what Magic early. Johnson made was nothing. He was making one million a year. A scrub today in the NBA will make more than one million a year. So just the timing of like That's barely Magic, over the minimum. What's yeah, the minimum? Half a the million. Minimum like yeah, like something like that, like five hundred, six hundred thousand. And so. Um, you know, Magic Johnson, just by being in the 80s, which wasn't that long ago, like missed out on hundreds of millions of dollars, probably a billion dollars total. Like a star like that with off court endorsements would end up making a billion dollars over their career. So, you know, that's just like luck of timing. OK, well, there's also a luck of timing in when it comes to business, not just in like, oh, I got to time the market like, oh, you know, let's say the market's going good and my company got acquired because everybody felt all the acquirers were flush with cash versus a recession. Not even that. What I'm actually talking about is like as an entrepreneur, the time, like the random time when you free up, like you quit your job or your company gets acquired or like whatever that thing was, there's so much luck involved in like what's going on in that moment. Totally. Like I have, so, uh, we have a friend, uh, Suli, who came on. He was episode one of the podcast and he says a story, which is like, you know, I was at Microsoft. I quit my job. I went home just to my family's house in Florida and I was just kind of like, okay, well, what the hell am I going to do now? And so he didn't have a grand plan, but he had his, what the hell am I going to do now moment at the same exact day that the uh, Facebook launched its app platform. So he's like, I was doing nothing. Facebook launched his app platform. So I was like, okay, I'm going to build a Facebook app now. Whereas if he was just still employed or had a different idea six months earlier and he would have been in the middle of that, 
He would have never built that app, which have never led to him come to Silicon Valley, getting acquired and getting his first million dollars. And then that turned into so much more. And like, it's not to say all of his success was luck. Obviously, he did a lot of good things, but there is some luck of just when you're free and like what's going on in the market. Like, where are the waves happening? Like right now we're doing I'm doing all this stuff like I have this e-commerce company. If I didn't have this e-commerce company, I would have been all in on Web3. I would have been investing more, building more. Maybe we started a company in that space. Because I would have been free to do that at a time when that's the obvious fucking thing to do right now is go work on Web3, invest in Web3, and build in Web3 um, or AI or whatever. There's like two or three things going on right now where it's like, that's the that's definitely the thing to do. But if you're occupied, you can't do it. And so, yeah, and that's that's a little bit of my point, which is I, I think that I think that if you create a restaurant that's really good and like Momofuku or Milk Bar, like momofuku or like that cake like it's not particularly like it's not really different it maybe is slightly better but like right. whatever he he made it work and he became incredibly wealthy that guy david chang and it's a cool gig whatever it's awesome that will work in the 1920s as well as in the 2020s um so you could pull shit off no matter what there's some stuff that you right. can just make work and if you just give it enough time you'll make that work but then there's other things where it's like there's this tidal wave coming and if you just catch the wave, even if you're shitty, it's going to be awesome. Right. Um, I think Michael Acton Smith is his name, the guy who started Calm. He told me that. He was like, I felt like, he was like, I didn't know anything about meditation, but I was just able to talk to a couple people and I felt like there's this huge wave coming. And if I could just paddle just a little bit and catch that wave, success is going to be incredibly easy. Right. And he told me that. And I was like, oh, that's so, you're, you're right. totally right. If you just catch the right thing at the right time, and it doesn't even have to be the right thing at the right, th- right time, but kind of around the right time and kind of the right thing. It happened with us at the Hustle Newsletters. We, our newsletters weren't this like tidal wave of a business. You know, our exit wasn't like a $20 billion, like, but it was like a nice, like, oh, it just so happened that we caught this little trend right. at the right ish time. Well, there's a, I think most people would, get some of the, like, so, so the one part of what you said, which is just like, oh, this market's ready to explode. Like the market is ready. So it's like market timing. I think everybody kind of gets market timing that, oh, that's a thing. It's important, but it seems very external. It's like, oh, I can't control that. And it's like, you hope you get it. And sometimes you don't, you try to look out for it, but you never know. What I'm talking about is even the one thing you can control, which is your own personal availability timing. And so I think this has two things. One is like, should recognize that if there's a if there's a like a wave going on and you're you're occupied with something that's not ideal um like get the fuck out of there because you just needed to be free right now it doesn't even matter what you go do in that space you don't even need the idea you just need to be available you need to be single when all the you know when all the 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 eligible bachelors are, are walking down the street if you're not single if you're not on the street because that's the that's when the parade was going on you're not gonna get you're not gonna get picked up and so it's like being available at a certain time is really, really important. And also that, that what that means is don't pick up a mediocre project that's going to occupy you because you just think, oh, well, you know, this can't hurt. I'll make some good money. I'll, like I'll meet some people. It's like, well, it will hurt in this silent, invisible way, which is you're going to become occupied. And it that means you are no in, longer in, in the market for good luck to happen to you. And that lack of focus is more likely than not what ruins most everyone who tries to do anything right. interesting. I tweeted out this thing to like get to do a little research. I I, I kind of fucked up. I tweeted out, hey, um, what what is the biggest problem in your work life right now? Like, I don't care if you're mega successful or if you're um, just like a McDonald's like employee, whatever. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody's got like some career challenge that's on their plate right now. What's yours? And I said, DM me. 
And so I got a bunch of DMs. I forgot. How many did you get? I should, what I should have said is, I'm not going to help everybody because that wasn't my intent. I actually wanted to do research. I wanted to know what problems people had so I could make content that like maybe speak like if I know anything about one of these problems, great that I could put it out there if that's a common problem people have. And so Why I got DM a bunch of DMs. versus comment because some people I, I didn't think would be comfortable saying like the issue, like what they're struggling with How many uh, DMs publicly. Did you get? I don't know, at least a hundred, I don't know, hundred, two hundred, something like that. It was a lot. And um, and one of the most common ones was like. Um, you know, either some variation of, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I know this ain't it. Or I kind of know what I want to do, but I'm afraid to go do it. Like I'm doing this other thing right now. And the answer to both of them is sort of the same, which is whether you know what you want to do, if you don't know what to do, if you know, this is not what you want to do, the fail, the first step is make yourself single, get out of the bad relationship, right? Like that is the. The because it is taking up space in a way that you're not your brain is not going to like properly assess the cost of that because you're going to just see the small benefits you're getting from it. What you're not going to see is that actually, you know, you nothing can fit in here because that's there. Um, I don't care if you're at Microsoft or wherever. And so that was like the number one and number two like thing. But to me, they're the same, which is I don't like what I'm doing now. Should I go do X or what should I go do? It doesn't really matter. The answer to both is the same, which is you got to get out of X. If you're, if you really like care, if you want this to get to that amazing level, like if you're okay with it as is fine, you're okay with it as is, but if you want more and this ain't going to give you more, you got to get rid of it. And that's the only decision you need to make right now. You don't have to make the other decision yet. Yeah. And I, I completely agree. I think that, um, just like you just got to get a swing. I, I told this to one, one of take my enough swings. Right you'll get, you'll get a hit. We have this guy who does, uh, for our e-commerce store. He's amazing. He's so good at like website optimization. And he's like, Hey, I got I want to talk to you. Like, you know, you told me I can use this card one time, which is like, Hey, give me some advice. So I want to use it, which is like, I kind of want to go do web. Like I can't stop thinking about web three. I'm super interested in it, but I don't know if I'm just like following a hype train and what's going to happen if the price is going to crash and if it's all a bubble and I don't know all these things. Uh, and I got a good thing going for me. And I, basically I ended up talking him like, as I talked to him, I didn't talk him out of it. I just let him talk out loud to where it was like blatantly obvious that he needs to throw away a good thing to maybe get working with an you. amazing thing. Which is me. I'm one of his clients. He's got a few clients. His business is doing gangbusters and he's very good at it. But he's sort of like unstimulated by just like e-commerce at this point. And he's super curious about this other thing. But it's like, how do I let this go? This brings in money and it's like, I'm good at it. And I'm, my brand is all my identity is tied to this. And it's like, well, okay. I asked him, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll read two bits of it because in case this like, I don't know, helps people. Which is I go. Do you only talk with your employees via text messages or uh, Slack? Well, I meant like text format. Right. Uh, yeah, I try to. I try not to do like calls. I told him. How many employees like, do you have? He's like, can we do a call? And I was like, just type it here. Let's see if that works. <laughs> well, how many? It always uh, works. How many employees do you have? Uh, there's like I don't know. There's probably like twelve in the main in my main ships of like actually maybe fifteen of like between the fund and content and e-commerce. Fifteen people probably associated with it. But that's a combination of virtual assistants all the way Got to it. like Ben, who's like, you know, my right hand man. I called the shit out of Ben, but I just typed everybody else. Um, so, OK, so he he basically was like, here's what I'm thinking, blah, blah, blah. I told him, I go, first question, how much runway do you have? If life, if life costs you four thousand dollars a month to pay for it, uh, just make sure you have enough savings. Otherwise, you can't really make this decision if you don't much, have any money saved. How much saved do up. you have? Uh, yeah, he was like, I have, you know, like six months totally liquid and I have another six to 12 months that like I could totally eat into without without feeling bad 
um, I think that, my when I go whenever I talk to people, I say twenty four months. Yeah, I I just think that's a that's like that's like safe. That's very safe. I think you know you could do it. But that's um, like a hundred. We're talking like a hundred grand. Yeah, but people to save up. I mean, that, that's what that means is wait. And I think waiting is a very big cost to pay. So you got to be sure you're willing to pay the price of waiting. Okay. So, th- so then I said, all right, uh, you presented me with three options, but really there's two. You said, I can take on more clients and lose all my free time. No, do not do this. You can keep your current clients and have some free time. And it's a pretty safe path. You can do that for six more months and then like collect more data if you're just not sure about something. If you don't, if you don't have conviction or you could quit what you're doing, get rid of all your clients, including me. And go all in on it. It's the riskiest path, the most radical. You should do this if you know what you want to do. And it really just comes down to that. Do you know what you want? If so, then go for it. Do not wait. Do not hedge your bets. I said, if you don't know what you want, then do path B where you collect information, but be really specific about what you're trying to learn. Don't just wait for waiting's sake and just hope that you'll feel more ready later. Talk to yourself about what is it that you're actually trying to figure out and then figure that out in the next six months. Um, he's like, and he said some other stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and I, at the end, by the end of it, I was like, um, you got to ask yourself these three questions. If I wasn't afraid of failing, which one, which path would I pick? Cause that's what you really want to do. Um, then I said, do you believe that if you put your mind to something, you're going to succeed at it? And I only asked him this cause I could see he's a star. He's really good at what he does. So I know he is the, the answer is yes. If he puts his mind to it, he'll get good at something. And then I said, um, so if you know that if you weren't afraid of failing, what would you do? If you put your mind to it, you could succeed. You believe that correct? Yes. Okay, then what should you do? And he's like, well, then the answer is obvious. I should go do that thing. So I ended up talking myself out of, I ended up talking one of my star guys off of my team, which kind of sucks. But so it happened. Uh, you know, if it, it will soon, I, like, you know, who knows? People get cold feet, but like he knows yeah. what the answer should be now from his own. Like, I, I just asked questions. They were leading questions. Yes. But at the end of the day, they were questions and the answers were very obvious uh, to him. And it was like, you know, so why would I not do this? you know, it all just traced back to some version of like fear and anxiety. That's great. I'm, Which I'm is never eager who you, to see you, how that you know, story You don't really want fear and anxiety driving the car. They can be in the car. Yeah, they're a passenger, but like they're, they're not allowed to hold the wheel. Um, Can we wrap up with one quick thing? Yeah. Do you see uh, Tyrone Woodley is now fighting Jake Paul? Uh, yeah, the other guy dropped out or something. Yeah. Oh, uh, crazy, right? What do you feel about? How do you feel about that? So let down. Yeah, let down as well. Yeah, Woodley's so just let- the most boring fighter, so that just sucks. Ugh. So bored. I'm so bored by this. I wanted <laughs> Tommy Ferry to fight him. Um dude, Jake Paul though. I'm I I'll I'm gonna pay money to watch his stuff. Do yeah, you pay money great. to watch fights? Yeah, I pay when I feel like it's like somebody I, I really care about. I want like if it's a McGregor fight, I'll pay. Yeah. And I'll pay because A, I don't want to hassle with like the bootleg stream like crapping out at the wrong time and also i feel like i'm gonna get my money's worth whereas if it's just like two if it's somebody i don't really care about then i'll just watch clips or i'll stream it or whatever like i'll figure out another way but i won't pay the 60 70 80 bucks for that what website uh do you use to well, stream? Hey, hey, what are we trying to do here is you're trying to narc me allegedly <laughs> you would narc now <laughs> <laughs> do you use a good one uh, yeah. Man. Do you have I'll, one that you go I'll, to all the time? I'll DM you some things that I do. Uh, <laughs> I used to use this website called Project Free TV. I don't think it's around anymore. And I would watch all my free TVs, TV shows on that. Now, apparently, there's this thing called Crack Streams, which is pretty good. May have, may have, may have taken a, a glance at that one. 
Yeah, <laughs> but I do the same thing. I, I buy a lot of them. You know I have it's good like because it's got a Z in the name. Streams with a Z. <laughs> I also, uh, it's good. I also, um, I pay for YouTube TV, so I get a lot of stuff there, and I pay for ESPN, so I get stuff there. Yeah, same. Um, so by I the way, for- you've heard this story in the past about how um, you remember when Dane Cook or yeah, Dane Cook got popular. Did you ever hear the story of how he got popular? Was it from like Kazaa? Yeah. Do you know what he did? No. Genius fucking distribution hack. This is one of the greatest growth hacks ever. When Kazaa and LimeWire and all those different like, you know, torrent type of downloading programs were out there when people used to download music and all that. I can't believe that stuff existed. He, um, he created files that would say like Chris Rock stand up or it'd be like, you know, Dave Chappelle or Eddie Murphy best stand up. And it would be four minutes of Chris Rock and Eddie Murphy. And then the next 56 minutes would just transition to Dane Cook. And that's <laughs> so how he got famous. So people were searching things? for those guys. They would download the thing thinking they're getting an hour special of that that's guy. Great. It would start with that. It'd be like, and now Dane Cook. And he would just start with a joke. And like, sure enough, people would listen. And that's how he got like his distribution. That's how he got his name out there initially. Well, if you think back to it, like, of course, it didn't seem the way that this way at the time. But the Internet was so small. That I remember, like I would wait for wait for something to get released, and I like knew off the titles, like and how many cedars were on there. I knew I could get that one. Like <laughs> yeah, I knew yeah. all about it. Like you knew about Kazad Limewire. You knew which ones to download for which stuff. And now looking back, I totally could have been. Uh, I call. I, I totally could have manipulated it. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't have even thought of that. But maybe me today would have thought of that back then. But I don't know. They, even when I heard that, I thought it was genius. It's so genius that I'm, I'm like skeptical it's true. But, uh, but I've heard he it a couple savvy. times I now. bet you that guy made so much money because he made money. If you were able to make money when uh, CDs were $18, that was like <laughs> the, the, the best time in, in uh, music and comedy and that because the CDs were like 50 or 80 cents or something. It was just a little piece of plastic. Right. That basically all went to zero. And now it's just only live shows. Back then you had live shows plus the CDs and stuff. And then he got into movies. I think he became like the most popular comedian in the world for like two years. Remember that movie he was in with Jessica Simpson? I love that movie. Dax Shepard Checkout or something like that. Yeah. Where he like runs like a Sam's Warehouse. I love that. I love. I used to love Dave Cook. He's like like Dave Matthews Band or Coldplay. You're like embarrassed to talk about it. Yeah, except for me. I'm like, what? This is good music. What's the problem? (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. That's the episode.